Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, bringing you another interesting, exciting, hopefully educational conversation with someone who is affiliated with the independent music scene. And the guest this week is a person who completely fits that bill. Because, I mean, if they didn't, then I would be basically going back on everything I just told you about the show. But I promise I will deliver that to you. This is Mr. Toby Morse, who is the vocalist for a band called H2O, who is, uh, I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, they're legendary within the context of punk and hardcore. They've been at it for 20 plus years, and uh, Toby has been... a purveyor of everything positive and awesome within that music scene, ultimately spreading a positive message, which is is something that a lot of people that get drawn to independent music don't necessarily think of doing, even though you kind of can run on a few cliches when you do have the whole, you know, finger pointing positivity, cheese ball lyrics inserted here. Uh, but Toby fortunately does not fall into that trap. I was very excited to go over to his apartment one day, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to you as far as the the context in which our interview took place after this this fine little business snippet about the show. This is the final week of the fundraising month for 100 Words or Less. And I've kind of adapted a public radio model. So for those of you that regularly listen to the show, I, I apologize, but basically the month of April and the month of November, you will hear me begging for money. That's just a reality and you're going to have to deal with it. And even if you give money, I, I apologize. I wish there's a way that I could filter out the <laughs> these pleas to the people who contribute regularly. So you can contribute one of two ways. And ultimately, it isn't so much about the financial gains that I receive from the show because I honestly, I don't. I lose money on this thing and that's fine. But ultimately what it does your dollar, $2, $10, $20 throws a vote towards this independent media. It's literally me and one other person that does this thing. There are companies and massive media organizations that raise millions of dollars to start stuff like this up. But I've been doing it for close to three years and have received a pretty solid listenership. Tens of thousands of you download the show each week. That gives me a sense of pride already. But you contributing some money towards this just showcases the fact that like, hey, this is worth my time and this is worth my effort to give you some of my hard-earned money. I just, I want to put it in context for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to line my own pockets and and really try to, you know, make this into something that uh, was never meant to be at the beginning because I will do this for years to come as long as I have the schedule and the time. You can contribute one of two ways. First of all, both of these things are in the show notes. So any sort of podcast catcher or what have you, Click on the information and you'll be able to see two direct links. One of them is a way that you can do a monthly contribution fee. So if you do a dollar a month, that's $12 a year. That is like the easiest thing that you can do via patreon.com backslash xpurposex. Or if you decide to do a one-time donation, you can do that on the website, 100wordspodcast.com. And then you can see on the right side of the page, there's a little yellow donate button. So please do that if you are a regular listener, if you are a one-time listener, whatever. If you are feeling the compulsion of just like, yes, here we go. Here it is in the the digital tip jar, as it were. I appreciate you for doing that. And thank you very much for all of you who have contributed this past month. Like it's, I've really tried to make sure that this month has some really, really, really high profile guests and people that will hopefully be introduced to the show for the very first time. And then all of a sudden, be opened up to a whole different world of like, oh my gosh, there's like all these 150 some odd hours of other shows I could check out. So thank you for joining and hopefully you decide to contribute. Toby, I'm trying to think of the way that to 
best describe him. I, I've I've worked with him on and off for a couple of years, and him and I have become friendly. I was a little hesitant to have him on based on the fact that Toby, as you will come to find out in the interview, and I kind of you know call him out on it, not in a bad way, just in a way where it's like he's an extremely busy dude. And you can always tell his head's in many different places at once. And that's great because obviously if it weren't for that, he wouldn't be able to achieve all that he's achieved. I'm always kind of nervous when I bring people in to this context to be like, hey, you're going to sit with me for an hour and hopefully you'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to have a, a serious discussion. The day came and, you know, show up at his house and, you know, he was whatever, 15 or so minutes late. Like I said, not throwing it against him to be like, dude, what the fuck, man? Why are you 15 minutes late? But I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to like dive right into this conversation. You know, he just came for lunch and then needs to go pick up his kid. And oh man, this isn't the ideal situation, but he blew my mind. He was like locked in, focused, I don't think he was expecting me to have, I guess, as much, either as much insight or as conversation points as I did towards him. And it, it was such a good conversation. So Toby revealed a lot about himself that I honestly, I never knew. And a lot of things about the band and just so many great things. And I'll stop babbling. Here's my discussion with Toby Morris from H2O. I'm excited to bring it to you. So here it is. And I'll talk to you after the jump. kind of you know you your, okay. your music all that sort of stuff but it, it the h2o obviously being existing for as long as it has like you you guys are ubiquitous when what i mean like everybody that kind of gets into punk or hardcore is like kind of given a starter kit where it's like all right here's like you know 20 or 30 records and like you know maybe chronologically speaking okay and like h2o is usually you know included in that That'd be um, awesome. It's true. I, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you don't have to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> but I think, you know, partially because obviously you still exist and put out music. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think, you know, obviously keeps you relevant from that perspective. And this is kind of a sort of tacky cliche question, but I'm sure it's one of those things where reflecting on kind of your band's legacy, like that's probably difficult for you to do. Like in the sense of like looking back on the band's like lifespan, mm-hmm. it's probably hard for you to put it in perspective because you're still like doing it. Doing it. Does that yeah, make that, sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Is it, um, is it one of those things where you, you look back on certain eras more fondly than others, or is it all just kind of like jumbled together because <laughs> you've experienced so much? Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's different highs and lows of our career. Yeah. You know, there's different, we're in different labels and, uh, we had crazy tours with, uh, awesome bands. Right. Um, cause when we first came out, it was, there was nobody really doing melodic kind of style hardcore in New York city. It was Absolutely. happening everywhere else, obviously, because yeah. we were inspired by so many different bands. But when we first came out, it was pretty exciting because a lot of the music was really, um, like chugga chugga. It was more like harder and, yep. um, metal, more metal edge to it. And then we came out with our seven inch and we had a, like a love song on there and people were just like, what? And because of <laughs> me being a roadie, I guess, for sick of it all, people hung out with or how it looked or whatever. People didn't expect the H sort of sound like that. Right. And so when we came out, it was just like, people were just like kind of taken back by it, but they really connected to it. I think it was kind of, um, like a breath of fresh air for that at that time sure. in 1995. Right. Um, so that was pretty exciting, and in, 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 in this getting to play with so many bands, like our second show was a Chrome. Our first show was Murphy's Law. The second show was Chrome Eggs, mm-hmm. and like all these people that I've known just from the scene when I didn't have a band, all like just kind of um, supported you, probably. supporting us. And like none of us are born in New York. We all moved to New York. I moved to New York in '88, and, and uh, the rest of my band, we all moved to New York, and 
we didn't move together as a band. Like my brother was already been out proud. Sure. Yeah, so separate. So we all we were born there, and, and to get not accepted, but taken under everybody's wings in the New York hardcore scene, like right right off the begin from the beginning, it, it was just it was an incredible feeling. So like the first couple shows and the first tour of Murphy's Law. That was like our first real tour. Right. There's so many crazy things and so many awesome um, moments that I, I always have those memories. And I think about stuff like that. Yeah, it is 20 years. It's, it doesn't seem like it's that long because everything seems kind of like yesterday. Fresh and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do like, you, I'm sure there's elements of your early years when you obviously were playing those shows that you probably were like, we probably have no business playing the show, but we are. Like, did you have? Did you? Yeah. F- <laughs> uh, we our our main thing was we go and we jump on shows because we. <laughs> so I remember us going to jump on a show. In Philly with like Doc Hopper and maybe 108 or something. Uh, and, we, and we knew somebody there and let us play like three or four songs. Right, right. And uh, we did that a bunch. Yeah, we did that, we did it a bunch. <laughs> so you guys were the uh, you guys were the, the band that showed up and were like, oh, I guess I guess we'll put H2O on this thing. Yeah. But, but it was only because our friends were playing and we were trying right. to get gigs. They're like, so hey, like, come on out. Right. Hop on, play a couple of songs. That was super awesome. The one amazing memory of our first show is that that my wife was there with her, with her boyfriend. Right. And we were just friends. Right. And it's crazy that she would talk about it now that like she took like an $80 cab from Manhattan to come to the show and support because we were friends uh-huh. with a guy she was going to be marrying at the time. Right. And but she was with someone else at the uh-huh. time. <laughs> and like going to that show, that, that's a pretty awesome memory. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. that first show. That, and now. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, like you mentioned, you were not born in, in New York City. Where no. were you born and raised? Taunton, Mass. Okay. And you moved up to New York City when you were like 14, 15? Or? 18. So I was born in Taunton, Massachusetts, and then I moved to Newport, Rhode Island. Where's Taunton? I don't even know where Taunton is. It's, it's like close to Brockton, kind of okay. near Boston. Okay. So I, I was born there, then I moved to Newport, Rhode Island, and then my mom got a job um, managing apartment complex in Southern Maryland. Okay. So then we moved there from my high school, and Rusty Pistachio, my guitar player, he was the maintenance man there. Shut he, the... I, <laughs> he was born there. I mean, he, he... I had no idea. Rusty had like a mullet, and he was the maintenance man in the apartment complex. Right. And so we kind of be, became friends with him, and like we, we were like full-on skaters. Like We got into it really hard in Newport with the Verbal Assault guys and growing up with those guys. Right, right. Uh, skating, wearing checkered pants and like bright Converse and stuff. So we came to this total southern part of Maryland where there was no skateboarding. Right. And I remember like one of the second times hanging out with Rusty. My brother's like, oh, can I try your board? And Rusty had this really skinny Hobie skateboard. It's called Hobie, I think. Yeah. And my brother did like an ollie or something and broke it in half. And Rusty's like, oh man, you broke my board. And then (laughs) a couple months later, be be friends with Rusty. He actually stole, uh, I don't know if he stole, I don't want to get him in trouble. Maybe borrowed. borrowed, Well, I think think the statute of limitation is okay right now. Yeah, that's right. He (laughs) borrowed. <laughs> he borrowed wood from the maintenance shed. Okay, yeah, and he yeah. built us a quarter pipe. That's amazing. I'll send you pictures. Sure. And he got fired from his job. Oh, because he did that? Yeah, because he did that. And we had a sick quarter pipe in the apartment complex. That's amazing. And they, yeah, and they're like, hey, how, hey, how did this uh, get built? Exactly. Oh, just uh, from the shed of those, uh, those wood yes. pieces. So basically, it's crazy. Not to give us total props, we kind of brought skateboarding and punk rock to St. Mary's County, Maryland. Yeah. Because now there's skate parks there. We met so many people because of that. Um, well, because you, you were obviously taking, because you were moving so much, you were taking all these influences that you kind of yes. learned in other places and kind of, yes. you know, we're like, hey, this is what we were into before. And everyone's like, what is that new shit, man? Like, like, that's exactly. cool. Skateboarding hadn't hit there yet. Right. Let's see, 83? Yeah. 83? And so what, what was your, your, your family structure like growing up? Like, you know, mom, dad, like brothers? Like, how, how was that all? Uh, so your- 
When I was three, my dad died. Okay. When uh, he was 33 years old of a rare heart condition. Um, so you probably have no, like, do you have any memories of him? I got, I got photos. I got stories. That's all really That's I have. all you have, yeah. My two brothers have the most memories ever because they're oldest, obviously. Okay. But I, I got key, some key awesome stories about him. So you were the youngest of three? Youngest. Okay. So as soon as that happened, my mom started, like, really working, like, two or three jobs. Yeah. And you had like babysitters and nannies and that's my, well, gra- not my, nannies, gra- my grandma, yeah. and my grandpa were a big part of my life. That's huge. Big part of my life. I go there every single weekend, every Saturday, they buy me a matchbox car at Bradley's. That was my thing. I get a matchbox car every Saturday. Right, right. And, Something to look um, forward to. Yeah. yeah. So because of that, I, I think my, I always think my brothers would scare me straight because my, my mom was working and my brothers were watching me uh-huh. and they'd have their parties in the house. They had people over. Sure. They'd well, be, yeah, they, they were, they, I mean, you were, you guys were latchkey kids, so you could yeah. kind of do whatever you wanted. So They'd be drinking. There'd be stuff going on in the house. But they're the ones that got me into skateboarding. They're the ones that got me into punk rock. Okay. So that that that's one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me because of my brothers. Right. They turned me on to that. They were they were they were your ushers, so to speak. Because everybody ushers. needs everybody needs that either older brother, older sibling, like weirdo at a record store. You need that one yeah. sort of person being like, "Yo, like here's here's the good stuff." Exactly. And it was my brothers. So it's it was, amazing. So th- that was awesome. And um, so yeah, my grand my grandparents were a big part of my life, and yeah. uh, we moved around. Obviously, we moved to Maryland just for that job. Right. And because of that, I met Rusty. I met so many people. Then we started going to, like, shows in Washington, D.C. Sure. Getting to see that part of, like, the like the uh, mid-late 80s of all the great, crazy stuff in Washington, D.C. I saw Embrace. Saw so many great bands. Rights of Spring. Uh, Fugazi's fifth show. I have the, the lyric sheet. He was handing out lyric sheets at the show. <laughs> right. That's what they did. Yeah. So... <laughs> I got the t- and then verbal assault in Rhode Island. So I got like some Massachusetts. I was super young, but I got the Rhode Island, which is like the verbal assault, vicious circle, positive outlook kids. Yeah, that's what really got me into it. And then moved to Maryland, got to go to D.C., mm-hmm. and then I moved to New York by myself when I was 18. Right. It, it strikes me, too, where because I think partially probably because of what your brothers did for you, you were not <clears> – because <throat> most kids, like, when they first started getting into music, they kind of stick to their one or two lanes, you know? They're yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm a hardcore kid. Like, you were listening to a wide variety of stuff, probably just because you all defined it as, like, hardcore in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. So like you, you, you seem to always, and still to this day, like you're, you're, you know, the way that you display your musical taste where it's just like, oh yeah, Coldplay's one of my favorite bands. And like, uh, yeah. you're unabashed about like what you like. And I think that's, that's an important point. Cause I think, you know, whatever, a 14 year old kid that feels shamed because they like like a certain record because it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. You're just like, no, no, it's, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I was into, I was into like, then, then when I, I got really into like hip hop and I moved to New York. Right. But I was more like, like punk rock, and I, I liked the fast punk rock that I could skate to, yep. but then the skate rock cassettes, sure. skate to that stuff. But then I, I didn't hate my mom, I, and I, well, I didn't know what Anarchy in the UK was, and <laughs> a lot of that punk rock that I liked, it was aggressive, I couldn't relate lyrically to it. Right. So then that's when I went, found Seven Seconds, and then found Minor Threat. The positive Force band, stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, and found the bands that actually had a, a message that I could relate to, because I, I didn't, I hadn't tried anything when I heard, I heard Minor Threat for the first time. I was like... 12 or 13, I didn't try anything anyway. And I saw my brothers, and I was like, it scared the crap out of me. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to be like they that. Give me wedgie. They, they were just messy. It wasn't crazy, but like, right. I just saw them drinking. I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Yeah, my that mom doesn't look smoked fun. cigarettes. My mom drank. Uh-huh. But like, uh, my mom just told me actually recently this past year that she was. Chain smoking cigarettes the whole all three pregnancies, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> that is, we'll do, but to put that to put that in context, that's a different time and a place. My mom yeah. smoked up until she was like four or five months pregnant with okay. me. I, I joke around with her all the time, where I'm just like, "You gave me asthma, mom. You gave me." <laughs> so you, you can, have asthma. I do have asthma. So oh, you, you, wow. anything that goes wrong with your body, you can just blame on your mom. 
Wow, that's crazy. I'm lucky, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good right now. The, maybe uh, that's why I never wanted to try anything. I don't no, know. No, it's man. true. Well, because because you were you were surrounded by it, and it just I, I presume in some capacity it just didn't look fun. It didn't. And then when I heard then when I heard Minor Threat telling me like you don't have to do that and be cool, and I was like, right. oh my god, I'm not I'm not the outcast. I'm yeah. not the weirdo. You're like, there's other people that are doing this. So yeah, then I met more people like that. Right. Right. You um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you uh, and still to this day, like there there is a youthful energy about you, and also I would dare say like a very ADD nature to yourself. Sure. Do you were you ever <laughs> were you ever like diagnosed, nope. or is it one of those things where it was just like because you were saying. so active, it was like yeah. that's how he gets out all his stuff. You know what? I think my mom might have put me on something, maybe. Right. right. Think about it now, but not. It wasn't called ADD back then. No, you didn't. That yeah, that term didn't uh, exist until much later. But um, I was. It was just a super hyper spazzy kid. Right. My wife swears I don't have ADD. My friends say I have OCD, ADD. <laughs> my wife's been married to me almost twenty years. She knows me. She than knows anybody you. Else. Yeah, yeah. I just. I'm just all over the place. Right. I've always been a hyper person. Yeah. And uh, that's why I can't drink coffee and stuff like that. I'll go really crazy. I can't. I couldn't even fathom you on like any any stimulant. Like you would be people dare people like. <laughs> I probably drank coffee honestly. I bet to see, maybe coffee less than ten le- times. Le- less less than fifteen times in my entire life. Right, right, right. You're probably just humming. You were probably existing at some different plane where people were like, "What? I don't eat." Like, but but people that have seen me on coffee, they tell other people about it, and they they want. To have me do that in front of them to show them how it happens to me. <laughs> how this how this stimulant works. Yeah. So yeah, I've always been hyper, always been like that. I'm all over the place. Right. I'm right. super, super focused, but I'm also a spaz. Uh, th- that that is kind of different from, you know, other people that are obviously like hyper and, and really, you know, kind of bouncing off the walls. You seem also like you can kind of you can focus too. Where it's yes. like when kind of the rubber hits the road where you're like, Oh, like I, I have to do this now. Yes. You're able to kind of like accomplish it. Like the follow through. Yes. Which that's I hard. I do follow through. I have a lot of lists around the house. Right. Um, one more, that's not OCD. I guess that's OCD. But one more thing I want to say. I don't want to, I don't want to ever say I have ADD or, or OCD because I did that recently. Yeah. And somebody that really had it hit me up on Twitter and they really bummed it out. I wasn't making fun. I was just saying that people tell me I have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I've never been diagnosed with it, so I'm not going to claim that I have No, that. no, no. Right. Yeah. You're it's not a misrep- serious issue. It is. It is. It's yeah, yeah. really serious and like it really affects people. It absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, so. I, I just wanted to put it out there because it was okay. one of those, one of those things where I was like, you know, this, I, I, I'm just curious. <laughs> myself so obviously as as the band kind of you know started started playing shows in new york and you obviously started to you know pick up steam and and momentum like you said you were immediately drawn to all the positive aspects of you know music and and uh, the lyrics and stuff like that yeah so but i like the aggressiveness of it too right but the, the positivity behind it yeah, but i also like the street stuff i love the chromags and they i like right. all that stuff too because i knew them and i was living in new york going to cbs every weekend hanging out hanging out with them seeing them around and knowing that these guys really live that stuff so i was just right. like this is some real right. this is some different style hardcore right this isn't like the stuff i heard in rhode island or the stuff i heard in dc mm-hmm. there's a different edge to it here yeah absolutely this is a whole different beast it is and different it, energy the thing that i've always found interesting about about you in particular was the fact that because like positivity you know essentially runs through your veins and you obviously promote that the yeah. lifestyle you know violence has circled the band because because of its atmosphere, totally. And how is that? I love hip hop, gangster rap too. Right? How I is that? <laughs> because you were, like you said, you were literally being raised. I mean, coming up in the hardcore scene around yeah. people who were affiliated with gangs and doing like serious crimes. And yeah. how was it? One of those things where you were able to kind of like, you know, I guess reconcile that in your head, where you're like, I can be friends and be supportive with these people, mm-hmm. even though I myself am not necessarily a violent person. You know? Yeah, I feel like. I met all kinds of people. And when I moved to New York, that was such a reality because I was 18 years old. I was by myself. Yeah, you were probably clueless. I was a pen pal with Timmy Chunks from Token Entry that I met a couple times in real life at shows in D.C. 
He said, come move to Queens. It was one of my favorite bands. I moved here. I promised I got dropped off at CBGB's by my friend Dave Weiskopf right. with a, all my luggage at a token entry show at CBGB's. And then I had never been in. I've only been there once as a kid with my uncles. Right. And it was so scary. Sure. It was a crazy show. I'm moving to Flushing, Queens. I have no job. I have nothing. I want to do something in music. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Was, I see crazy fights at CBGB's. Right. People got stabbed. It was just a, a whole different element. But like, I, I guess I maneuvered pretty well. And also, I... I it is funny because a lot of the older guys and a lot of the guys in the scene, they make all they would like, oh, this little this Toby from this little hick from Maryland. Right. But like, I wasn't from Maryland. I was from Massachusetts. <laughs> right. But since I came so they, from they Mar- labeled you as a hick. They, yeah, they thought this mess with me. Yeah. 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 No, but I know. At the same time, they took me under their wing, and it's like I, I feel like New York City gets one of the worst reps for being a violent place. Definitely. When in actuality. It wasn't like that. It, it wasn't even. I mean, it, it was. Cra- yes, there was violence. Yes, it was crazy. But this sure. cities all over the country that crazy stuff was happening. Of course. And people that I met, and the pe- I, I see the good in everybody, and the people that I met took care of me, and and everybody was like a big brother to me. Sure. And obviously, people and 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 people that maybe they do stand up for themselves, so maybe they do don't take shit from people or don't are not passive aggressive. All right. And people, you know, I, I realized a lot of dudes in New York, they, they were real dudes. Like they held their Absolutely. ground and they didn't take shit from people. Yeah. And I was like, I respect that because some people don't do that. Well, I think because I, I think the important point in there is the fact that you said that that was their reality. Like that's that was their yeah, and environment. it wasn't mine because I didn't grow up there. Precisely. So, so I that, mean, that made it easier for you to kind of like obviously not be influenced by that and not like you know fall. But I respected it because sure. because it's because it's real stuff and right. it, it comes from a real place. And that, I think that that that's what kind of differentiates New York hardcore to a lot of the scenes. Yeah. Because New York City in the eighties was gnarly. Yeah. I'm sure it was in Chicago and Detroit too. But all yeah, yeah. I know is I lived in New York then. That was your reality. Right, and right. I saw that. And 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 there was a reason why the music was more aggressive. Right. Oh yeah. Of course. Like it was a, completely a product of 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 everything that was surrounding but, it. But like I'm listening. But I'm listening to. NWA. I'm listening to Seven Seconds for Soul Force Revolution. Right. I'm listening to KRS One. I'm going to Eric B and Rock M shows. I'm gonna go see Bold Play. Like I you were all, just you were just shoving everything in your head. I, I, I took it all in. I loved it all. Yeah. Because I I, lo- I loved. I mean, I love hip hop. That's like one of my. I, I loved hip hop. It connected yep. to me. I used to, I was. Oh yeah, I was teaching break dancing in Southern Maryland at Teen Scene. You were teaching play, break dancing. This place called Teen Scene. <laughs> This is I, I, the, the place picture. called Teen Scene. I was teaching breakdancing. Okay, I, I was breakdancing at my prom. I was the prom king. I was wearing plastic see-through pants that, at my prom. You saying you're the prom king does I, not surprise me at all. I was all. the prom king, the school jester. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, because I'm sure most people were just like, "Hey, like Toby. Toby's kind of the, the the funny guy." And then if they you was. break out a if you break out a, a, a you know a cardboard box, and you start breakdancing. How could you lose? I was, but in school, <laughs> I'm, we'll go back and forth because I'm going to be that's fine. Now. But in high school, no, in school I was really uh, I I. I skipped school a lot. I skated right. a lot. All I cared about was skateboarding, and right. I would skip class for I'm that. Sure, yeah. And I, I was so punk, not close-minded punk, but I was the jocks would mess with me, and I was so anti any sport that I would never dress down for gym. And I failed gym for three years straight, straight up. Oh, you were one my of those. Mom, my mom had to go to the school. I refused to wear gym shorts. Right. I just wore my pants. I would never. Your I would never take part of gym. I got right. straight ass. My mom was bawling. I remember going to the school, having like a meeting with the principal. Sure. I was like, I refuse to be part. It's not me. I'm a skateboarder. I'll mess with that. I'm not. Wow. I'm not doing gym. Right. So I got really bad grades, and then I found. I got my first girlfriend. Fell in love 
in my senior year, and then my grades started crushing. I wasn't. I wasn't. You were motivated. I was motivated. I was the prom king, the school jester. That's impressive. And it's crazy. My school was so segregated that if you look in the class of 1988 in my yearbook, which I don't have, I gotta find it. It's it's literally it's it's so segregated. It's like black black people on one side, white on the other, on the black side or in the middle with a white uniform choice hoodie on. I swear to God, because because you, you you strike me as a person obviously we're able to mingle with a lot of different people. Yeah, like, and it was the first time I experienced racism. That, that was not tolerated how I grew up in my household or anywhere. Yeah. And then I got into punk rock, and it was definitely not tolerated. But then I went to Southern Maryland where everything was so segregated, uh-huh. and people were saying the N-word, and it wasn't on a rap song. And right. like, I was hearing all this shit, and it was just like – that was a real culture shock for me. Sure. And yeah, then your I went eyes from that open. to fucking New York City, which was a, a, a insane culture, all cultures. So what – you know, since you moved out when you were 18, was it one of those things where you, you felt that, like, I just got to get out of here? Like, I got to – Well, my exp- mom – throw my mom in the bus because my mom's gotta, amazing. Okay. She just told me if I didn't have a – I was supposed to have a job by a certain time. Oh and yeah, I, and I got and I got the time. I don't want to go there, but yeah, she, so I, I got kicked out. Right, because you you didn't I, live up to your end of the bargain. Is that a I safe? I did, but then I got a job at the steakhouse washing dishes. Okay, you know, and, and you, I was right. a vegetarian. I remember I got a job at Subway. They ordered me a long sleeve shirt because my meat is murder GB tattoo was the only thing on my forearm. They made me wear a long sleeve Subway shirt. <laughs> they would not let me have the tattoo. It was a job there. Sure, sure. Okay, yeah. So back to it. Kick me out. Blah blah blah. Right. And I was just like, all I liked was New York. I was like, I gotta go to New York. This is the melting that was pot. The, that was where the beacon. Yeah, you were. You were. I gotta go to right. New York. I okay. know one, two, one, two, three people there. I met sick of it all a couple times. Right. I'm going to New York. That's my goal. And I just went there. And I remember like living in my girlfriend's attic. They put me up there in her attic. Shelly Shackley, my, my, the girl I was with in high school, and living there. And then I had to. She had a long winding road like the movies, like a gravelly road and i remember saying goodbye to her on the porch we were gonna we would continue our relationship to being pen pals and that didn't even really didn't last that long oh I, yeah that's i got hard. the dear john letter right and um <laughs> toby this is time for me to move on and it was only it wasn't even i feel like it wasn't even a year right but i'm living in queens and i moved to new york and yeah i just did it because i wanted to go there i ended up working with pete and lou sick of it all at concrete marketing i worked at roadrunner records i worked at all these jobs and yeah, the you were hustling rooms. sure yeah like, like oh my god promoting i mean we got the cases of the pearl jam and the Vonica cassettes in sure and this and um Temple of the Dog cassettes. <laughs> so, so what, I was working all these different right, just places. made trying to make ends meet. What what was the worst job you held in New York City at the time when you were trying to uh, you know, know kind man. of piece things together? Or did you generally enjoy? I mean, you, me, Isaac, sick of it all, and Pete, sick of it all. Okay, we were building the sound factory on Fifty Fourth Street. Wow, all summer long with <laughs> construction helmets, all that, and then we found out there was asbestos in there or something. <laughs> Jeez. And I remember Isaac's like, like we're on the elevator looking down, and he like clocks us out. He's like, he's like, we're out of here. We're like, what happened? He's like, we're out of here. And he clocked us all out. And I remember like walking up the hill in 54th Street, going, oh my god, we all just quit together. This is awesome. But now what am I going to do? Right. But like we worked it all summer. It was so it was just like disgusting, just brutal work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I ended up being a roadie, going doing weekend stuff with um, Killing Time. No, it was sure. Killing Time oh, okay. first. I did some stuff with Underdog with Token Entry, like just out of town, like Connecticut and Pennsylvania things. And then sick of it all. And sure. then that was just like that was the they, entry they, point they took for me everything. Out of America, man. Sure. You know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit. Once the idea of once H two O started yeah. to you know be able to tour and you 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 were able to you know quote unquote you know make a living out of it, yeah. whatever that meant. You know, I'm sure it's difficult to like pinpoint exactly. But when in your own head were you just like, oh wow, this band feels like real. Like people are paying attention to it. Like, <sighs> um, probably uh, there was a, we played a show at the Wetlands. It was mm-hmm. a great venue in New York. And I guess Dickie Barrett was here from the Boston's. And we, I didn't know it. I didn't met him. I saw Impact Unit as a kid. Sure. And Monday morning, our manager, whoever it was at the time, got a phone call like, oh, Dickie Barrett was at your show. He loved you guys. I want to take you on a tour. And they took us like, 
that's when I realized like people were paying attention to us. Not not just because it was him, but obviously the yeah. shows were getting better. Sure. We were packing shows, selling out shows. But then like Dickie Bear, they took us on this tour and like we were on tour, like opening for the Boss Tones. And then they took us on tour again when um, Let's Face It was blowing up. Sure. And those guys taught us like how to treat other bands, how to just be, just, they're like the epitome of what bands should be. Sure. They're the sweetest, most awesome guys. Even before that record blew up, they were still humble, taking care of us. And like, yeah, yeah. they took us all around the country. They showed you the ropes they of like, us, this they, is what's up. They showed us the ropes, you know, like I, I'd seen the ropes as a roadie's perspective was sick of it all behind the scenes. Sure. And then when, when that came, we get their phone call and then, just because Dickie liked the show, they take you on tour. Like, that's amazing. That's right. like the bootstrap theory, you know? Like, right. so all of a sudden we're toward them, and then we're going toward the Misfits. And then, then, we, then like, for us, it was like, we're, like, we're not just going to play with hardcore bands. Right. We, we have a message. We want to we go further with our message, and we don't want to just, like, preach to the converter, which is great. We love that. That's what got us where we are now. But, right. like, we did tours with, like, New Found Glory, Sum 41. Right. You, uh, you, did, and you did a lot of tours that... Story of the year. Most and, most bands would probably be scared of based on the fact that yeah, like, I was scared too, but I like the challenge because yeah? I, I you I, like playing in front of a room that's a little that you have to kind of convince to like yeah, and you. I still get nervous going on stage sometimes, but like I I I wanted the challenge. I, I wanted to like win these kids over. Like they'd be like this, and then by the end, all they're doing a circle pit or they're jumping or they're clapping. <laughs> right. You know, it's like I love that. I love that about our band. I love that we we weren't scared of that stuff and like. Yeah. We're open-minded guys, and like we would like do YouTube. Like if there was a fighter show, we play with or without you, or we sing a song called "There's a Dick in the Pit," kick him out. Right, like right. we'd stop every show if there was a fight. Like people knew you come to our shows. We're not, we're not about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you'd be called out. Right, we're not going to tolerate it. Right. So um, doing that with the Boston's and like a huger crowd and like. Just seeing if that connection worked with a whole different audience, that was, that's an amazing feeling. Your mom obviously saw you starting to you know, establish yourself like yeah. in a ba- with a band and stuff like that. Was it one of those things like as, as you were going off to New York, she was just like, well, there's Toby goes like, oh, this is scary. But like, you know, how, how did she feel as your band started to become, you know, whatever, successful? And like, she, she, she's super proud. Like, we've had, we've had a couple emotional uh, stage moments where I brought on stage before I do song Five Year Plan, where right. I talk about it on the song. And that's been really emotional. Yeah, she's super proud of all of her, all three of us. Yeah. And it's crazy because when that started happening, like a bunch of cousins I never even knew started coming out of the woodwork in Massachusetts. <laughs> like a lot of cousins that were on my, my dad's side who I never met. Yeah. All these Morses are coming out. Right. And like my mom was coming to the show and she's like trying to tell us, explain who they are and this and that. But like, right. Um, my mom's super proud and she lives out here now. We're all, all of her boys are out here. Right. But she, she worked really hard to raise us, keep a roof over our head. And she did a really great job having three boys. I can't even imagine that. And well, yeah, having I'm, one boy with my wife. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I'm sure it's one of those things too, where you probably, being a father and seeing how um, imperfect like parents are, yeah. like you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. But like when you're a kid, you look up to your parents, like, oh my gosh, like this is yeah. the thing. Did did the did that moment ever wash over you, where you were like, dude, my mom was like trying the best that she could with the, with what she had. I mean, now looking back as a parent, exactly. Yeah, oh yeah. hell yeah! I mean, it's <laughs> uh, it's especially before, for um, what kind of I'm trying to think of the word I'm going to use for that. Sure, I'm saying she had nothing. In right. the seventies and sixties and seventies, and she she did with she did with three boys. Yep. And I feel like it's way easier now. Mm-hmm. Just having one boy. Absolutely. Even with two parents, but I'm saying like it was hard for like me to get babysitters or like whatever the, the wage she was getting per hour back then, right? Or what kind of job she was doing. She would take any any job. And I know parents would do that now if they had to do anything to take care of their children. Yep. But I just feel like my mom sacrificed a lot, and she never really found true love again. Like my dad was like. 
That was hers. Her dude. Yeah. You know, she married once before, and the guy was a total jerk, and all three boys didn't like him. Okay. And it just wasn't the right fit, but she, my mom never found... So she, she got married after your dad had passed away? Like, a new guy was yeah. introduced to the equation? That's rough. This guy, Bill Greco, who's a real jerk. Right. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, I could easily see... <clears throat> I mean, that's a scary environment where the, the dude comes in, meets three boys who are, like, super rambunctious and yeah. are, like ready to get him out of here. I know. <laughs> and so he was obviously... My brother Tal was a wild kid too, man. He was getting arrested a lot and being crazy in the streets. Right, right. Both my brothers, man. <laughs> I got crazy stories. I don't even go there, but my brother was like a wild surfer, like uh-huh. surf punk. How much, how much older were they than you? I won't quote you on it, as long as you're in the, the vicinity. Yeah, I think Todd's like... Todd's three years older than me, and my brother Tracy is... Five years older than me. Okay, and they've been able to navigate to where it's they are. Wrong. Oh, right. One's three years, one's four years. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. well, but, it's yeah. At that point, it's um, it's fine. But it's crazy how we all ended up in New York for a minute, and then all in California now. It's kind of yeah. crazy how that happened. Yeah, yeah, completely unintentionally, I'm sure. Because I was the first one to go. Mm-hmm. I remember Tracy moved to Maryland, and he's like. He was old enough to like not say, he was like, F this, I'm fucking out of here, man. This place sucks. Right. Went back to Newport. He went back to Rhode Island. Sure. I went to New York, and then later on, Todd, it's been Alcrowd, ended up moving up there. Okay. To try to really focus on their career. And I was already up there with H2O. Sure. It's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah that's funny. I just saw a flyer from our first CBGB show where we opened up the show as a blackout showcase, and Alcrowd was like up there. Right. And now there's two guys in the band. It's just. Because I'm sure this is something that, especially because like H2O has existed for a long time, I'm sure it's something that you guys probably have internal conversations or maybe internal conversations in your own head because you don't, you don't want to be one of those bands that overstays their welcome. Yes. And, and and like not in a mean way, but it's like, yep. you, you know, you, you see bands that are out there kind of like grasping at straws yep. being like, oh, hey, let's do a 10 year tour for a record that is like really irrelevant. Like no one really like, you know. Yes. So I'm sure w- what thoughts do you have in your head as far as like, you know, not saying that like, oh, if, if you don't have fun anymore, you're going to break up the band tomorrow. But like, no. what you know, it, that, I'm sure that's a conscious thought in your head. It is a conscious. Here's the thing. I always say that when kids stop coming to see us, we'll stop playing. Right. And it's crazy because we are very lucky, man. We made a record on MCA that some people liked, some people hated. It was We took a big chance on that record. Oh, you did. After that, we got so burnt on touring because we were nonstop since the first album. Right. Then we took a seven-year hi- hiatus. In the hiatus, we did play shows, but didn't make any music. Right. I had a son, moved to California. We kind of just, just stopped making music for a while. just trying to like focus and... Then we did nothing to prove seven years ago. Right. That record has been one of our biggest records that we have ever made. Right. And, and we were so focused on America. We're from, we, we want to be really bigger in America. We want to just focus on America. And we canceled so many European tours. We didn't want to go to Europe. <laughs> All of our friends were going there, killing it, paving <laughs> the way. Absolutely, yeah. And we never did it. And then we, got, then we started going seven years ago, nonstop. And like their record really connected over there. Absolutely. So now it's like we're like almost a new band overseas. Uh-huh. We still, America is still awesome, but I feel like, I think it's, it's, it's not on purpose that we're doing seven years between records, sure. but it really helped. It really, it really worked. Yeah. 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 It gelled into that. So that really worked for us. Yeah. And like, I, I, obviously I don't, it is 20 years right now, but it's like, obviously, yeah, you don't want to flog a dead horse. You don't want to like yeah. play yourselves out, but like kids are still stoked and we're just stoked to make a new record, doing a record with Chad. Right. And they're stoked on it. And we try to make the best record we can. You're only good as your last record. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And we'll see what happens. Like for us, it's like. We don't have any stress. There's no really stress right. of what we're doing. We still go out and play shows a lot. Right. Like I just booked this for the rest of the year, and that's before even the record's even going to come out right. this year yeah. on the 20-year stuff. And uh, we're very blessed that there's still young kids. And now it's like kids come to our shows that grew up seeing us. Now they have children. Now they're children. Right. They're they're still, yeah, generationally speaking. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, I feel like if we did put records out every single year, nonstop for 20 years, 
it might be a different story. Right, but right. But we had that break. You had the recharge. And I feel was, like we worked really hard on that to improve and that record really connected. So. Right, right. When you, t- when you took that break, I'm sure, um, was there, you know, I guess... Because you are so obviously identified, you're Toby H two O. Like, but I, I mean, in this, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I I don't look at you as having real um, an inflated ego. I mean, you have an ego, but not mm-hmm. in a bad way. Yeah. I would label it as. Was it difficult? <laughs> was it was it difficult? Really yeah, I know, but yeah. was was it difficult for you? to kind of, you know, once, once the major label record obviously quote unquote didn't work from a commercial yeah. perspective, was it difficult for you to be, be kind of like, well, we're going to put this on the shelf for a while. It's a weird place for me in my life. I was moving here. We were so burnt. We love each other. We're brothers, but we were nonstop touring. Yeah. So that record was just like, you know, I love, I love a lot of, I love Matt Wallace. I mean, Tarfriend, that was Tarfriend's dream to pick Matt Wallace who did Faith the More replacements albums. Sure. He picked him and it worked. Right. And that, and uh, Matt Wallace was actually about to not really produce anymore. And then all of a sudden this band called Maroon 5 hit him up yeah, right yeah. after us and changed his life. Yeah. Which is, I want to put that story because I'm so happy for Matt Wallace. <laughs> of course. But like, that was a weird time recording that right next to Guns N' Roses in the room next to us. We were out here in California recording that record. Yeah. You're for, like, what are we doing? It, here? it was crazy. And like, when I, when I did nothing to prove, like, I was like, I'm writing, I'm putting all my heart in every single lyric. And I just, that record was super important to well, do Well, you that. were just, I mean, that's, that's so, uh, for a person who's, that's what you do in the band, like to be removed from that. But I was so burnt when it came to doing that. And, made, and this, it was just a crazy time. Like, yeah, yeah. just like, like I said, you only lose your last record. And we were, compared to people, we were shit because we were right. that record. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yo, and we're, we're pretty terrible. Improve, and that was just, oh shit, this is the age story I remember. Oh yeah, oh, they're good again. Right, this, right, right. This is the age story I remember. This, yeah. and, and Chad gets it and he like, he knows what he loves about the band. And so like having him in that time, it was perfect. And now it's like, I told him I'm never doing another record unless it was with you. Right. Right. Because he gets it. And like, yeah, I know it comes from the same world. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, so I mean, after that, I mean, I was working at golden voice. I was, I was pushing people's gear that were taking pictures of me and saying that their band uh, opened up for me. And it was like, it was, I, I liked it. I yeah. was having all my friends work there. I was, I was, beha- now I went from roadie to his front man to like actually production really man. behind the scenes. Right, right, right. And I met a lot of people through Golden Voice. It was a front I did it for almost a year. Uh-huh. And now it was like, and then we started Hazen Street and then we toured on that. And like, right, right. Then it all, yeah, then you were just, able and to. And I was like, once it, I was like, God, we're going to do another HO record. I'm, I'm, enjoy- I miss this now. It's like, right. I feel like it's the, the time. A few, a few last things before. I let you go. Was the um, it was great. You're like I'm on Oprah. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you just compared me to Oprah. That's yeah. spectacular. Your family is obviously such a solid focus of yeah. of your life. I mean, you make it very clear, and obviously your marriage and, and your yeah. son. Um, is it one of those things where it's like because they are there and they're obviously supportive, it makes you feel like you're you're rooted to a real life? Because I, I see a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people that you know that kind of get into the system and get in a band, and they don't they exist on tour ten to eleven months out of the year. Sometimes they don't even know what it's like to be like a real quote unquote human. You yeah, know? Was like real, that was a hard transition for me to be honest. That was yeah. that was a real reality because this is reality and tourist fantasy. And to, I toured so much that that break was a hard reality for me. Mm-hmm. You know, going to go doing the Golden Voice job was great. It was awesome, but doing that kind of work and just like not touring and like right. we did we did some shows here and there, but it, yeah, it was definitely getting back into reality. Like because when my son was just born, I went on tour for like. I don't know, nine weeks with Hazen Street. Right. But my wife said, that's the best time to go. He barely even knows. You know what I'm saying? He's just a baby. No, so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But coming back to that and then like getting back in the gist of it. Now I'm like a full-time carpooling dad. Like I love being yeah, home. Yeah. You're but Mr. Mom. I, but, I, but now also I get the itch to go play shows too. I, I, I have a good balance. I'm very blessed because I do um, be able to take my son to Europe this summer if I want to go. Right. Oh, my wife was selling merch for us for like, I don't know, 16 years. I had <laughs> right. my wife with me. And then it went from not having my wife with me to actually being on tour without my wife and I have a son at home. Right. So that reality was totally hard. But 
act, but coming back and being and being home and this kind of it, it's hard. Yeah, it's definitely it was hard. It still gets hard. Like, yeah, I was with Russ yesterday. He's like, man, we're gonna play some shows again. We've been home for too long. I'm like, yeah, we've been home for like two months. But yeah, like, you're like, but I. But you get you get used to it, and I love it. I I love playing shows. I love I love being in a band. I'm lucky it's still happening in 20 years it's not going to be forever i know that right and i'm not going to drag it into the mud and i'm not going to play shows and people don't care but people still seem to care right and that makes me happy yeah no for but, sure but, but being home and being a dad and being domestified and then going on tour with a bunch of animals right. and i come home swearing like a sailor my son's charging me a dollar for fuck word right all that he's making, got the making hundreds right. of dollars off me <laughs> and then like and it's then like when, and then when i'm home for like a month or two moons like, okay Okay, you're still acting like a sailor. Like you're st- you've been home for a while. Like, enough of this swear words. Yeah, but like you get on tour and it's just like there's no rules. It's like no, no, no. My wife always whenever I would come home from tour, my wife would always give me like a three day buffer. She was like, That's good. "You're gonna have your three days of like you know you're doing stupid shit. Like you're not cleaning up after yourself." And it's like, and then after the end of three days, I'm gonna start calling you out. I'm like, uh, that makes sense. That's a good point because th- there is also transition there when you say your wife's home with with your son or you or you're just home by herself, right. and she's got her life going on. Absolutely, and you're calling like every day. I miss you. You, baby how you doing and she's like right. and you're like at a show or you're somewhere yeah. and she's just trying to maintain the house of course in her life and then you come home and you're like all riled up from tour right. and like you want to take your son to the movies on a school night and you just want to be in the mix totally and i you, want to still have fun but my, but my wife and right. my, my wife is always like listen i have my schedule now you have to ease back into my schedule yeah, because yeah, yeah. i'm the single parent right here right and so you've been gone right i don't know if it's a true story or not and we can look up after, you, but we, I just heard recently that Bono's wife okay. makes him go to hotel for like two days before he comes to the house when he's off tour wow. to unwind. This is sure. I just heard recently. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah, is yeah. pretty amazing. And, yeah. and I, I totally can relate to that. Absolutely. Because when I get home, Because like, you're coming I, in for a crash landing. Yeah. That's all I you am. do. And I'm like texting myself like, oh, this movie's coming. I'm doing movies this week. Because when I get home, I want to get, because I feel guilty. And when I'm home, you can ask any of my fucking friends. They ask me, I never go out. I'm like a hermit. Right. Like, I feel like, and Moon's like, go out with your friends. I always feel like I leave so much. I feel so guilty. I'm making just up going for lost time. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. really going out. She's like, hey, go out with your friends. I'm like, yeah, but I'm with my friends in my band when I'm on tour. When I'm totally. home, I feel like I just want to be like home. And yeah. like, you go out, have fun with your friends. You go. Because right. that, that, that's what makes a marriage and that's the balance of that's it. The, you know? That's the pull that I'm sure you feel. It is. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they're, they're, like, back to the question because I'm random because I have ADD, OCD, which I really don't have. Right, right. Um, <laughs> is that, you know, the, the coming home and getting back to real life. It, it, it was super hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I have this comfortable balance where I'm home now and I just book myself the rest of the year. I know that like Max is coming with me to Chicago and right. then I'm going to leave there and I go back. Then Max will come with me uh, in the summer. Right. Uh, and then I go to Europe for seven days and he goes to Nana Camp every summer in July. So we plan it. So he's, You got it. Yeah, my son's right. in Chicago. Uh, Moon's here and I'm in Europe. I come home. We all meet together somewhere and then we do something. Right, right, right. So I'm very lucky. But my old to go, which I haven't talked about, is one life one chance that I can speak I at schools. And, and, we, and that, is, that is exactly <laughs> how we're ending Here's it up. There's a closer. No, it is. It's the closing question. So yeah, obviously like, you know, one life, one chance. Like the, it is, um, it's so funny because I'm sure you've noticed this too where I find a lot of like, you know, dudes in bands or whatever, like once they kind of get off the road, like a lot of them take up teaching because there is like some sort of mimicking feeling of like getting up in front of people and like obviously like, Talking, yeah. right. Like there's some correlation there that gives them the same feelings. Um, and I'm sure it's, you know, subconsciously it was the same idea as what you had with H2O where you're like, Hey, let's play to people who have no idea what hardcore is. Like yeah. I need to take this message to the schools to show like, yo, like I've done cool shit. And I don't have to be, you know, completely annihilated, inebriated, yes. whatever. Totally. Um, and if you say it's, it's not really the same, I mean, 
I'm on the stage with a microphone, yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, when I'm on the stage with a microphone with H2O, they know who I am, what I'm doing there, what I'm about to say. Yep. But at a school, you cannot swear, which I haven't done yet after right, 30 right. schools. It's I'm so sure, scary. I'm sure you were you just can, sitting you, up there and be like, oh, You oh. cannot swear. I've never had the most fear in my life like the first school I did. Sure. After that, it's all good. Yeah. But You just had to do it once. But you're, you're going there pretty much as this tattooed. All they know is you're a tattoo musician from a band. They don't know anything about your band, which I don't care if they do. Right. Uh, and you see you walk on stage and then you give a PowerPoint presentation about your life, the different people who passed away from drugs and alcohol, the people who inspired you, the people that could still inspire you who are like right. successful athletes or musicians who do not party. Um, but they're looking at you and just full on like arms crossed judgment of until course. you're done. And then they realize, oh, wow, this guy's legit. Yeah. But uh, the thing that the thing that I like about it the most is for the kids is that the connection is, is so real and it's so it happens so fast. And I'm not a guy with a suit on. I'm not a guy saying I'm a recovering addict. You're, you're relatable. I'm relatable. I'm not a cop. I'm not a teacher. I'm not your parent. I'm just a dad with tattoos was in a band who just happened to like live this lifestyle of course and i'm breaking stereo i'm breaking stereotypes of musicians who you always see in the news for being in rehab or yeah. overdosing or cheating on their wives or being this piece well, of you, shit see, see, the, you thing, know, like, the thing that i think you're trying to subvert is obviously the the like you said a lot of the cliches that exist yeah. like uh, people assume that that so be, many because you were in a band you must do this but when you get up there showcase the fact that you started this stuff, like being in a band and being active in a music scene when you were in high school. I yeah. think so many kids yeah. don't make that correlation where they're like, oh, you mean I can start like now, like when yeah. I'm 16? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. like seeing you in front of them being like, oh shit, he did that. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it's like- But it, also I make sure I, I say they should have a plan B and C. Of course. Because well, you didn't. I didn't, but right now the speaking is <laughs> my plan B. The speaking is the plan B, <laughs> okay, I'm telling you. But if I hadn't lived this life of doing all this music and these <clears throat> experiences in my life, I wouldn't have nothing to talk about. So True. I'm glad I did that. And like my ultimate goal would be doing this full time all during the school and in the summer I just go play festival shows that'd be right. amazing that's what you but want but right now it's not that because it's super hard there's lots of red tape and there's lots of it's such a big process of getting to of a course. school of course um, but what we're working on now is trying to get uh, raise money in our, our own way with good fundraising and stuff so we can go to all these schools where I see animals go through on my phone every single day they have no money who yep. need us the most so then we can go okay we're going to come to all your schools we got it we're going to take care of it because yeah, yeah. all I need to do is just get there just get me there yeah totally so, get, get, um, get there get you in a room with some kids that's it that's it so that's that's our goal right now. It's been five years this month, right? And uh, I've been to like over thirty schools, and mostly it's all it's just all grassroots DIY of style. Of course, yeah. From, from the internet or people who are fans of my band, or now they're on the PTA or they're teachers or they're of police course. officers, right? Right. But right. then it started spreading from those schools to other schools. Hey, this guy just came. Check it out. Then I started getting schools just on the strength of what other principals were saying about my visit. Of course, which is great. That is. So yeah. I mean, my, my main thing is my main influence was having a son and seeing how scary it was and wanting to give him a great life and all. Also seeing what kids are exposed to on these freaking iPhones and on YouTube and on everywhere, what kids can they have? They have the entire world at their fingertips. They do, and it's like there's no role models. Like for me, it, it was it was it was from listening to records. It wasn't uh, a rapper on the radio. It was people where I read interviews and fanzines. It was people who got thank you lists on records. As oh check out this man. Oh my god, I, love, I can yep. relate to this. So for for us growing up, it was different role models, and I feel like. I didn't have a father figure, so I did look to Ian McKay, Kevin Seconds, uh, Ray Capo, right. um, so many different uh, frontmen, or just people in bands that looked up to because I could relate to their message. And kids don't have that. I feel like kids just have like this, like 
I don't know what they have. I mean, I, yeah, it's just well, it's just kind of like out there. It's like every every quote unquote role model from like a sports star to a celebrity or whoever they they themselves usually say like you know don't look at me as a role model like don't look at me as a hero. And yeah, it's but, like yeah, that's true. I, I know. Yeah, uh, and but then then there's like you know the Kardashians are like probably some of the biggest role models for the yeah. youth right now. Right, and I feel like um, what what values are they? Promoting? What, what, what values are they? Promoting? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know. And it's <laughs> right, like, and that's not, the not not to diss them because they're doing no. their thing. They got their hustle. So that's good, but I feel like there needs to be this. I'm not trying to say I am the role model for yeah, these yeah, kids. Yeah. You're, just, you're, you're, you're the solution. It's I'm like just saying no, you're I'm, offering an option. I'm off an option. Here's my friend C.J. Wilson. He's been straight his whole life. He's yep. a pitcher for the Angels. Totally. Here's Hilly Williams. She doesn't party. Chapman New from Glory. CM Punk, number one wrestler. Right. You know what I'm saying? These are all my friends who are highly successful and they don't, yeah. they don't have to party. Right. And, 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 and they made right, smart decisions. That's what I try to give the kids. Like, these are some role models. These are some people I think that. Um, Here's some people you look at. Like, the, you can look at their path and understand that you don't have to you don't have to follow it exactly but understand yeah. that they're in places of prominence because of of their focus and their ability to obviously not yeah. be swallowed up by the quote-unquote system and, and i know people are people and the kids are going to try things and they're going to experience things yep. and that's just part of life but my main thing is like hey you have, you have, you have, you have a couple options in life you could choose this path that path or that path right you know just be smart about it yeah i'm letting you know that i i choose I, I chose the best paths i could do with you know people always say like oh it's my parents but i grew up with one parent right. and I feel like I, I turned out pretty good. So don't blame everything on your parents. Look to your relatives as your role models, but like, and I ask kids like, who are your role models? Is it, is it Nicki Minaj? Is it Lil right, Wayne? Right. Who, uh, who is it? Right. Who was in jail for having a gun in New York or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's just like, there's so many different Yeah, kids, kids can, kids have so many options. Yeah. They have way more options for role models that I had, but their options to me personally aren't well, you're crippled, and they're also crippled by choice. Like they don't, you know, yeah. it's like there's so many. Like, where are you even going to look to? But I'm very excited you're doing that because it's exactly like I said. It's applicable exactly in the same way that what you tried to do with H2O, where you were taking this the principle of of what you learn in a sort of whatever hardcore punk world yeah. and apply it to the real world. Because otherwise, like, there it's not going to be perpetuated. Otherwise, so. it's not the support from it from every single all types of friends I have. Friends who aren't even straight edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. friends who aren't even positive. Right. Um, <laughs> Just, like, just yeah. friends in general are stoked that I'm doing, of doing something like that and that it's working and uh, people want to help. And um, yeah, yeah it's, it's been really great. And it's exciting because of that. I've been, Ian McKay was like one of my idols growing up and like he knows what I've been doing. I've seen stuff that he's talked about me at schools and yeah. I didn't do it to, to get, I, what I'm doing is not to get recognition from people that inspire me to do it. Right. But to have somebody like that mm-hmm. who was such a role model with me backing it and think that it's really cool and something positive taking from that movement absolutely makes me so happy yeah like it makes me super stoked like oh it's almost like your dad gave you the thumbs up like good job right you know what i mean that's all anybody ever wants but but it's not like i did it for that it just so happens that i was i was in the cover of my of a newspaper first time my entire life not even h2o and in the background was a minor threat picture and the police officer sent it to ian and i saw it It was it's just just awesome yeah it's like just little things like that and like i do it because i love it you know, we're definitely struggling. You know, we definitely need money to get to schools, and that's all we need the money for. Right. I mean, I, I love doing it more than anything. And, and you know, the energy... You feel, you feel like that... It, it's a different high, too. It's like it's, a, it's the next chapter. It's the next chapter. That's exciting. It's a nonprofit 51C3, which took almost a year and a half to get. It was very, very difficult. Yeah, those aren't easy. 
and um, I have a great board of people, and like everybody's focused this year. And uh, last year was kind of hard. There was a lot of schools coming through, but I know a lot of budget cuts. Yeah, so yeah. we're just we're just figuring out how we can make this happen for off the internet of all the emails to real life, right? You know, and also get different ways to raise money and make people more aware of what we're trying to do because I don't think there is a dare anymore. Yeah, not it's it's yeah, it's not there, and it's yeah. like I had people come to my school and talk about not doing drugs, and when you go there and you you, you yell at kids, tell them what they to do, they're gonna go out and do exactly what we told them not to do. Of course. That's why, same with being on H2 on stage and on stage at schools, I never preached, never said, don't do this, don't do that. I'm just going to speak about my experiences and if you relate to them, that's awesome. Right. If that's, an, if that's kid, inspiring to you, that's great. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that that's that's the mission. You know, sometimes if they say, why why you look so young? I say, oh, because I'm a vegan. Yeah, this yeah. is why. <laughs> exactly. Um, gorilla biscuits and like gorilla biscuits. So I, right. I don't really talk about the veganism thing there because that's another thing that would really scare people. Sure. At the schools, but when almost every school they ask you, how can you look young? How can we have so much energy? How can we still skateboarding? And I say, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. his diet since 88. And like right. some kids like, oh, you know, I'm gluten-free or um, uh, I can't have any dairy or like right. some kids start raising their hands. Oh, I'm vegetarian or yeah, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. that stuff you have to be kind of careful about. Because, of course. Well, yeah, you get it. You, you, you sneak it in the back door, so to speak. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's just another, it happens. With the que- it, hap- it comes in the questions on the yeah, Q&A yeah, every yeah. time. I'm almost like, it's exciting though. So I'm like, I mean, I, I love to see anybody from my graduating class in 1988 come <laughs> skating ramp with me <laughs> or jog with me. Sure. Or, sure. Um, yeah. Fit, fit, Anything. For, fit for 40, right? That's what yeah, you say yeah, all the yeah, time, right? Always. <laughs> this is a push-up contest. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this music that got so yeah. much either negative Absolutely. or positive backlash like, uh, about how like punk rock's crazy and skateboarding's crazy. Like, I was just talking to my friend on the phone just now. He's like, oh, you guys want to ask him to skate tomorrow. I was like, oh, we really didn't skate growing up. Our parents really didn't allow it because they, sco- they thought that skateboarders had a bad rep. Right. And I'm like, man, that c- but look at it now. Look <laughs> yeah, at yeah, Tony look Hawk at two, now. Look, look at, at 2015, man. <laughs> I'm just saying like all this stuff that my mom thought I was crazy or kids at school made fun of me about or people thought I was weird about it has helped me stay healthy and feel like I'm so young because of this, because of this stuff that inspire me. And like, that's incredible though. I just love to see the same people now who make in front of me then. Right. And see what kind of path their life took. Sure, exactly. Because when I was a guy being called gay for not having a girlfriend (laughs) and I was going to take my skateboard to the prom and all this stuff. Seriously, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that. Not not to be like, oh, I'm better. Not than to you rub nothing. it in your face, but, but not just to that. Like, but it's like, yeah, you know, I feel like this music has guided me on a on a awesome path. Right, exactly to where we're here right now. Am I talking, <laughs> am I talking too much? <laughs> no. Well, Toby, we're we 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 did this. Thank you very much. Thanks I really for having me. I know it's it. been a long time, and I'm no, I'm you no. Stop. I appreciate it. it. I appreciate you. Thank I appreciate you. all the things you do too for the animals and for oh, everything. Stop, stop, I'll stop. So that was Toby. Hopefully that was educational for you. He's just, he's a great guy, right? I mean, like you can totally tell from that interview, like what he's gone through, all of these different avenues that he has explored in his life to be able to just ultimately pursue what it is that makes him happy, which is obviously music. And that's all that we're trying to do in some capacity. Just stay connected to that thing that brings us life, which is music or art or whatever it is. Just try to hold on to that as long as you can, because the moment you kind of let go of it. And when I say let go, I don't mean like, let go like, oh dude, you're not going to every show or you're not checking out the newest band or movie every weekend. It's like everyone needs to make concessions in their lives, but you still need to have those touchstones. You still need to have those things that are meaningful to you and are dear to you and give you life. So Toby is a prime example of that. And I really appreciate him. And a special shout out to my friend, Jeff, who is helping him with the one life, one chance foundation and uh, you can find that very easily on the internet 
And uh, it's a great thing where Toby goes into schools, speaks about his experience with straight edge and positivity, and leaves kids with a very, very positive message, which at the beginning of the show I was alluding to was just, just such a great component of what it is that Toby is as a person. So the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Sign up to the little email news blast I send out once a week, which gives you a little bit more context on the show and how these interviews take place and just any other anecdotes I can share to you. And you can do that. There's a little little email box you can type in there. And uh, next week is the three-year anniversary. And I, I'm not going to tell you that it's some like massive blowout, but there will be some new things that I'm excited to share with you. So until next week, be safe, everybody. Be safe, everybody.